GM, GM, ladies and gents, welcome to Flywheel, your number one source for everything Frax, DeFi, and everything in between. If you want to know what's happening in the world on chain, well, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K, and we're here to help you harness the power of the flywheel. And this time, we go over to another part of DeFi, hell, another part of society. Someone who deals a lot of stuff off-chain, someone who deals with a lot of stuff on-chain in the world of governance in both places. We have on Paper Imperium, who's most well-known for his contribu contributions to MakerDAO governance, but has since uh, joined GFX Labs and actually does all sorts of things uh, across DeFi, whether it's Optimism Grants, Council, representing you know at different DAOs like Uniswap as well. Um, you know, we really got into it on this one. Uh, Kit, what are your thoughts? So I just want to help the readers think about the section or the listeners think about the section of this pod. It's like first we talked about his background. Then we covered a his thoughts and a recap on the Viper curve situation. And then we lead into MakerDAO, the very deep intricacies of MakerDAO. Then at the end, we zoomed out a bit and talk about Frax as well as what it means across the whole stablecoin ecosystem. So I thought it was a really nice, well-balanced and deep. Uh, I think there's a lot that Fraxmas can learn from papers, uh, lessons within MakerDAO and MakerDAO's governance and even stablecoin decisions. Uh, so... No, definitely pay attention to this one if you want and make sure if you want to catch us every week with all the alpha hit that bell button go subscribe right now let us know what you think in the comments love us or hate us we want to hear it leave us a like make sure you subscribe to our new website flywheeldefi.com brand spanking new and also make sure you follow us on twitter at flywheeldefi make sure you join our telegram at flywheeldefi you can follow me on twitter at defiday22 you can follow me at 0x capital underscore K. And let's get the flywheel spinning. Do you hold ETH but don't know what to do with it? Want to earn those juicy liquid staking derivative yields but don't know where to start? Well, Frax ETH is there for you. Frax ETH is Frax's native LSD solution, allowing you to earn boosted yields in multiple ways on your ETH. If you want to get started, Go to app.frax.finance and turn your ETH into Frax ETH today. All right, everyone. Welcome back to Flywheel. I'm your host, DeFi Dave, here with Capital K. And this episode, we reach across the aisle. We go across the chain to our friends and contemporaries at MakerDAO. We have the one, the only, Paper Imperium. Uh, paper. I, should I just call you Paper? P.I.? What do you prefer? <laughs> Yeah, it's fine. Paper, hey you, whatever. <laughs> Paper, thank you so much for coming on. It's great to have you. Uh, how's everything going? How's your day going? Uh, a little, a little stressful managing some some stuff at, at the PSM. <laughs> uh, also, it, it's been one of those days where it's been like excitement and then also a pile of paperwork because uh, I'm also on the grants committee. Optimism, so paperwork oh, and then wow. so back and forth between dull and uh pleasantly dull and exciting so i mean i think we can all use a little pleasant dullness after this past week of fun activities yeah but you know getting right into it uh i've actually you know first read about you in coindesk in 2021 uh and sam when he was on sam kaz 
when he was last on, he recommended you to be a guest specifically. So I've been, you know, really excited for this. I've been following you for the past few years. So it's great to have you on. He's actually called you like kind of like the grandfather of DeFi, the dad of DeFi, you know, <laughs> talking to congressmen, talking, yeah, <laughs> talking to, <laughs> talk, you know, uh, interacting on chain, like you really get all different parts of the stack. So like, as we, before we get into it, uh, what's your background and how did you get started, you know, becoming involved in Maker and in DeFi? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, first of all, I just, so nobody gets excited. This isn't going to like dox me or anything. I'm totally doxed. I'm not Anon at all. So no, no personality alpha here. Um, so I was actually originally an archeologist. Uh, I worked in the private sector. So my job was dealing with regulators, uh, for, uh, helping projects manage the cultural resources permitting process, wow. mostly energy pipelines, uh, transmission lines, highways, things like that um, were, were the main things. Uh, I actually came to DeFi because uh, I was uh, I had bought some maker tokens because I'm I'm a value investor at heart. That's I buy grocery stores and cigarette companies. I, <laughs> I'm not a not a degen. Um, uh, at least I don't think so. Uh, and certainly not by crypto standards. And I was attracted to maker based on the cash flow, particularly at that time, it was really ramping up quickly. And, um, and that, I mean, it's best days were still ahead of it. So it was a good time to come in. Uh, everything was just so exciting. And I learned what DAOs were at that point. I didn't know what the hell a DAO was <laughs> when I showed up and started, I was like, oh, they have a forum. I kind of lurked for a couple of months and then I made an account and started posting because I had some, had a strong opinion or two about some things. And then mm -hmm. lo and behold, like some votes appeared to be swayed by things that I said, and I, I was hooked from then, or from that moment. Um, I mean, it's just a fantastic protocol. Um, and I, I, I do, even though I was an archaeologist by trade, I, I do also have a degree in economics and am widely read in financial crises. So just uh, I've become a, a stable coin nerd. Uh, Maker was my, my, my first taste. You've come to the right place. Yeah, so yeah, I... I chat with sandwich at each other messages usually about stable coin nerd stuff <laughs> not like anything exciting necessarily but like different ways to design stable coins and financial instruments and, and stuff i like i like the boring things like stable coins um i also have uh, through through maker and then other places uh had a front row seat to pretty much all the real world uh uh asset uh adventures and misadventures <laughs> um so, those are kind of the two areas I focus on. Uh, and then professionally, I, I work for GFX Labs, which uh, it mostly is a dev code that builds things, but most people know it for its governance work, which I head up our governance section. So places like MakerDAO, Optimism, Art, and Uniswap are like real bastions of strength and influence. And then we're also uh, present on ZeroX and Arbitrum. Um, and historically, we, we also used to, to vote on... Uh, uh, hop and compound as well. Yeah, um, I just want to say kudos to your uh, diverse background in archaeology. Uh, I think we should have more people with you know backgrounds other than you know your standard like technical background or finance background because I think all of it has you know something to add uh, to what we're building here in the future. And I'm just curious: are there ways uh, that people wouldn't expect archaeology and your past work? Uh, kind of affect and influence your work in DeFi? So uh, my wife always asks me to, when she introduces me at parties, she's like, 
what you know, tell people what you do. And usually if I just don't want to answer, I'm like, oh, I'm a hairdresser. <laughs> this is what I used to say when I was an archaeologist because it was another another industry where people then will pepper you with questions. So if you're tired, but you just lie. But um, but I always describe what I do as um, governance and governments. Um, so, uh, you know, that's keeping my employer and protocols that we um, participate on abreast of uh, policy changes in, in the public policy and government affairs space um, and, and some other kind of informal, uh, not, not necessarily consulting, but uh, advisory uh, work uh, uh, in, in the policy space. So I, I guess I'm also, I guess the third leg of my stool is, is policy nerd. So mm. how does that relate to archaeology? Well, I was in the private sector. I was not like a professor most of the time. I was uh, helping people navigate the regulatory environment, which is very applicable <laughs> to oh, crypto. Yeah. Uh, regulators are regulators. They're the same everywhere. It's a certain type of person that's attracted to the position. They like the rule followers. They are risk averse. They like to check a box. They generally, um, the United States, I'll actually say, is actually really blessed with generally honest bureaucrats and regulators. Um, I'm not going to say they necessarily have the best interests of everybody at heart, but they're honest and they generally try to adhere to their, there are some big notable exceptions that I'm sure we can all name, but uh, they, they mostly operate in good faith. And, and if you, you, these are people and I am used to talking to people like that. So those skills really translated very well and paid mm. big dividends uh, coming over to crypto because I was shocked at how few people really knew how to talk to a, a lawmaker or a regulator. It's people and politics all the way down, whether it's on-chain or off-chain, regulator or degen, we're all just people. It's funny. I always say it's T-bills all the way down, except the bottom. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's a few things. Everything's on the top of those. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, speaking of oh, – Kit, uh, do you have yeah. something? Quick yeah. question, Paper. Um, so you went from talking to these lawmans and lawwomen, and how did that translate over to the on-chain DGen on the forums? Like, were – yeah, I'd love to hear how that transition went for you. Were you kind of shocked by their language or just you no, know, how no, open so, everything is? No, no. So, I mean, archaeologists are rough and tumble sort. Um known to the, the drink dry mini a hotel bar and uh well we don't have time for it but there's a lot of field stories as well that <laughs> I, I guess could be called degenerate just not financially so um so actually i guess the way i, I got involved in governance because uh, there was no such thing as delegation yet at maker and i'm obviously not a you know 100 millionaire or whatever it takes to you know sling around a stack of boats um so actually the way I, my first contributions over at Maker beyond um, just being a gadfly in the forum around some budget issues uh, was I, I did a like a speaker series where I was trying to connect people from traditional finance and, and, and people and decentralized finance. So the first speaker I brought to like do like a friendly Q&A where they could, uh, the, the, they could talk to the Maker community, Maker uh, DAO community members could ask them questions. So we're like a senior uh, vice president from the St. Louis Fed. Uh, a Duke uh, uh, business school professor who had just written a, a, a book. Actually, he co-authored it with Joey Santoro. Uh, that was back when Faye was new. I uh, brought a... Uh, Campbell uh, Harvey, right? Yes, Campbell Harvey. That was a really good talk, too. I should go find that and post it somewhere. And didn't we, the St. Louis Fed write a report on DeFi? Uh, I, so the, the Fed actually is... is I, I 
they've written lots of reports on DeFi, so um, it, it, it's highly, it's very possible. Um, uh, and then uh, I think there was also like a, a Congress critter that um, we brought to as well. It was just the first time that a federally elected official of the U.S. had ever ever like sat down with a, like a DAO uh, to do to talk about anything, which was kind of cool. Um, so I guess that's one way that it kind of uh, connected the two was I, you know, these people were mutually curious about each other, people in decentralized finance and people in, in power. So did you just like create like a telegram group and everybody just hopped in or was there... oh, no, no. I, just, I like, uh, you know, went on like crowdcast or wherever and, and uh, just, okay, yeah, okay. you know, just, I, I asked them if they would do it. They're like, sure. You know, and, um, it went from there and, and then, uh, and then maker had, uh, it's delegation program began and I kind of, uh, that kind of occupied my time from there. Yeah. Um, now let's uh, move from the people to the chain, especially with recent events that transpired this week over with our friends at Curve, that whole, it was an incredible fiasco between the Viper hack and then it threatened the CRV token, which leads to my next question about Fraxland, because you correctly predicted that Fraxland would be paid back first on July 31st. Um, how did you come up with that uh, conclusion? And what are your final takeaways from this whole Viper curve uh, situation so I, that, that went down? So I'll start by saying I don't have final takeaways yet because it's not resolved. <laughs> uh, it's still playing out, at least the, how's the it still playing? How's, oh, how's it still playing out? Uh, right. So, uh, I mean, he still has loan, large loans uh, outstanding. Uh, that The curve founder still has large loans outstanding between three different venues primarily, um, mm -hmm. you know, being Abracadabra, Frax London, and of course, Ave V2. Um, so Frax Lind by his design um, is, I think, I've come to the conclusion it's it's probably more conservative. Um, whether or not that makes it more appealing to borrowers, I think it makes it more appealing to lenders and operators um, just because of the way that the, uh, the, the utilization, the rate is not, just a, a line like the line is is dynamic um and you know it's also more isolated so i i think we you know that encouraged um i think that's an, a, an interesting design i was really excited to watch it play out in like its first stress test um and i think it did really well because it, it was not straight up parabolic interest rates uh just because you hit 100 you, you know 99.8 or whatever i saw once uh, on the utilization uh, an instant like instant liquid li instantly lick someone. I mean, ten thousand percent interest to lick anybody, right? You know, yeah. it doesn't take long. Um, but but at the same time, it punished people for staying high out long out on the utilization curve for a long time, right? So it kind of from a borrower perspective, they're a little bit insulated from gyrations in like a large lender, you know, withdrawing or a large borrower coming in to, to crowd their position in the market but at the same time it's still like increasingly you know it was an increasing amount of pressure so i i think it was highly predictable once you looked at it that they were mm -hmm. that frax was going to get paid back first or at least um, managed first and it was um and so now now things have settled down but the situation is still not resolved so i don't know if you saw the, over, over there the, the proposal at abracadabra to basically jack up the rates <laughs> yeah. um, mid-loan Right. Imagine and you course, take out a loan and then someone's like, you know, we're just going to jack up your rate. Sorry about right. that. Yeah. And, and of course, Sifu is actually one of the 
while liquidity providers it's propping up the the curve market on frax lend so um i you know, i think maybe this is ascribing too much credit and i'm you know this is just, i always view it as an adversarial environment but now i i think they i think sifu saw that uh um you know, Frank's Lynn was effectively higher in the seniority ladder, right? Because uh, of these venues, who was going to mm-hmm. get paid back first or get to liquidate first in lieu of payment uh, and thus get first bite of the apple. Uh, and now they're trying to manage their position so that they're ahead uh, now that the immediate danger is passed and, and telegraphing it far in advance. So, you know, coming in to prop up the Frax market so that, uh, which he's not like most of it, but he's, he's, he's like three, three and a half percent or something last I looked. Um, enough that it matters, uh, you know, so that lowers the urgency to pay back on Frax Lend while raising the urgency on the venue that he's from. Uh, I think that looks to me like he's trying to strategically unwind because he wants to manage down his the risk position over there. Um, and then, if, you know, and then, you know, Ave is really looking like, I got to say, Ave's really looking like a bag holder here, uh, if things go <laughs> sideways, uh, which it's it's not destined to. But I feel like they, you know, I, I think I said on Twitter today, I think they are still digging the hole instead of filling it in. Like, I don't really agree with what they're doing over at Average Avera with the, like the punitive rates, but like they're, they're trying to fill in the hole um, as opposed to dig it deeper. Avacadabra or Ave? Uh, so abracadabra, they're trying to manage their risk position over mm-hmm. at, you know, Ave, there's like floating a proposal to buy 2 million USDT's worth of, of a curve from him. Right. Like I don't see, like, I, I, I question the need to extend their exposure to curve. Uh, right. Mm-hmm. And that's also mm-hmm. money that if things go, do go badly, that's money that would go further to cover bad debt after a market collapse um because mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't be like a like a black hole it'd be like 10 million dollars probably something like so two million is like quite a bit of that um and at the same time they don't they don't maybe i'm just not following closely enough but they don't appear to be doing anything about their v3 uh like there's open capacity to borrow against curve there and it's still at like like uh liquidation value there is like 61 percent. so like not particularly conservative it's more conservative than uh uh over at v2 but like if you're trying it just seems to me that if you're trying to slowly ratchet down the huge position you allowed to develop over at v2 you should number one not be buying curve <laughs> right uh you have to increase your exposure or in this case a curve um and two you should probably simultaneously close off the v3 because uh you know the aggregate it's the same governance that's on the hook to backstop this stuff so same dow right it's the same dow and you know if there's a cascade at two there's going to be one at three and everywhere else so i yeah yeah, so i i think so i don't have final thoughts yet i guess was what started (laughs) this line conversation because it's still the belt it's like a game of musical chairs and it's like you want to be first to the chair and whoever is, you know, oh, the circle is left holding the bag. Yeah. Potentially. I also saw that that Ave is uh, increasing the slash from 30% up to 60% for the, the all the stake Ave people. So I, that was also interesting, too, is how they're prepared to take on this 
bag holding of of uh, CRV if they need to. So I have long been. This is not a knock on like Ave or anybody over there, but just your governance is ultimately people, right? And people are the same everywhere. Um, I think it's not an ideal design to have like this. Like, I mean, I think let's be real. They're never going to vote to slash themselves. Right. I mean, in what, <laughs> I just, like in what world is someone with a bunch of staked Ave going to vote to slash themselves? A fantasy one. Yeah. Yes. I, I think that's, and that's unfortunate. I think it's just not a good design. It, it creates perverse incentives. And so I, I, I don't think that will ever happen. So I think that maximum amount they can slash in one go, I think doesn't matter. So what would you consider it us completely out of the word or Michael completely out of the woods in this situation? Like all his debts paid down. Uh, what do you consider that? I mean, he doesn't have the money to pay it all off. Right. So I don't know. I don't give financial advice. I think if, I think if I were in the same, I think he's doing what he probably can. That said, I mean, he's a forced seller. People know it. Even if he thinks that he's, you know, he, I think if I were him, I would try to, and maybe he does this because we're not privy to them. I think I would probably try to find someone and say, I need cash today. I'm going to sell this to you at less than it's worth. We both recognize it's less than it's worth. So I also want a call option to buy it back at 20% higher than what I'm, what you, what you're selling it for in one year or something like that. Right. And you know, if I don't, if I didn't come back and buy it in a year at a higher price, then I, I was clearly wrong. <laughs> um, but I, I think it, I, I would try to find some way to structure a deal like that, I think, but he may have very limited choices and counterparties. I don't know. I had to turn an alarm off. So one second. Yeah. <laughs> one second, I, so I, I definitely think paper, um, we saw that right with all the OTC deals that he tried to make just so that he can cause this to happen. It was at 40 cents. So it was like markedly below market, uh, at least at this point. And what I'm curious to hear from you is, do you think that this issue ballooned into the problem it is today because the protocol and also Mitch was pretty cavalier with the CRV stack and just taking loans everywhere left and right? Because the Viper hack was bad, but it didn't really you know, hit the protocol itself. It was actually the founder's position that is has nothing to do with how the protocol worked, threatened the protocol. Right. This is not a, yeah, I think we should be all be very clear. This is not an existential threat to curve. I mean, I get that curve emissions are a key part of, have historically been a key part of, of what gets people there, but like curves, um, curves, competitive advantages that it's, a, it's, it's a DEX that's designed for stable coins specifically. Um, I think, uh, I think they're big enough now that it, I think they would find ways to find, I think, especially since a lot of stable coin partners, the ones that have survived being beat up the last year or so, um, a lot of the smaller ones and medium sized ones, I think they're hungry and there's some new ones launching. Like we just saw, what was it? FD USD, which I've not diligent or know not much about, but yeah, there are some new players entering the space we've had. Uh, I think people recognize the value of having liquidity on curve. And I think also some of the more regulated entities are maybe less 
scared uh, of 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 DeFi um, than than they used to be. So um, I think I think we'll just have to see. But I I, I think curve the protocol will be fine. So then the question is, um, you know, was someone negligent? You know, I mean, this is like rearview mirror stuff. So in hindsight, was it risky for him to accumulate such a large debt position? Um, I mean, yes, but who would have thought, oh, like Viper hack would have been, you know, Viper exploit would have been the thing that gets you. It's, that's not what I would have thought. I would have thought somebody. I don't think anybody would have thought that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've actually been impressed at his willingness to defend the position, to be quite honest. Um, cause he's, he's got his money. Um, he's got Same. his house, got his life. So, uh, the fact that he's willing to, to, to go to such lengths to try to save not just his position. I mean, maybe he's just trying to save his position, but you know, not like wreck all of the people he works with that have curve and stuff like that. I think, I have to give some measure of respect there, um, regardless of whether he should have gotten in this position in the first place. And um, I, I was actually on a uh, stream today, a show today with our friend Curvecap, uh, and he was mentioning how Michael has been using lending protocols since 2018 and has never been liquidated, not even once. And he right. mentioned, how, yeah, yep. And he mentioned how Curve arose because of a need to have a stable swap in order to swap between, you know, different lending positions and being able to pay back different lending positions. And then, you know, eventually CRV USD came about in order to create a softer liquidation mechanic. So all of this, everything that he's built has been built from necessity in a way. And um, I think he does have a, definitely a lot of pride for sure. He's like, I've never been liquidated. And he might just be like toying with people, like waiting, you know, waiting to announce these OTC deals to like bait short sellers who, who knows, maybe I'm just, I don't know. But, uh, you know, maybe he's just having fun. He's never been liquidated and maybe he has everything under control and we just don't, don't realize it. He's I doubt he's like having fun. <laughs> um, oh, it's yeah. possible. Possible. Uh, I think the, the probably somewhere where I feel marginally more qualified to opine is whether or not this like this risk was managed well at Aave. Um, mm-hmm. um, and I, cause I think it's the, really the standout. I mean, there's large positions at other protocols, but like, it's just, it's just an enormous position over there. Um, and I, I think particularly since this has been a well-known issue for a long time. Um, yep. Like I, yeah. Yeah. With, I, with the I mango, kinda, right? <laughs> yeah. I kind of wonder if they had had access to risk professionals like uh, like Block Analytica or someone like that, um, if they would have done a better job. Quite frank, <laughs> um, now yeah. maybe governance wouldn't have listened to them, um, but I think it's clear that I don't know that it's clear that their risk management professionals over there, which they've got two sets, right? They got Gauntlet and Chaos, right? Um, mm, yep. I don't want to say it's necessarily clear that they they didn't know what they were doing, but it, they clearly, did, if they did, they did not have the conviction to really stand up and be like, look, you pay us to help you not get wrecked. Let's not get wrecked. Right? Didn't yeah. And, yeah. And I only did. It, yeah. Zane yeah. got late like a month and a half ago, tried to put forth a proposal to be like, hey, guys, this, then this they position were, then here. Then they withdraw it, though, before it went to a vote. Um, I'm not sure I mean, exactly. 
I think that, I, 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 I don't think it went to a vote. I, I think yeah. it was. I think the community was, you know, naturally against it. So no matter what they said, you know, the community has to vote at the end of the day, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. but if your job is to say this is an existential threat, or not even necessarily an existential, but this is like this is you're going to get wrecked, like this is going to hurt, <laughs> then you hurt. should see that. And you know, I, this is a major problem at all protocols, right? The Aave is not unique like this. Um, you know, all the large protocols they run on risk more than we like to admit. Sometimes that's a calculated risk, and the trade offs are worth it. But there's an awful lot of like just you know. I don't see the risk head in the sand. Um, and I think it's, I think it's unfortunate, but I, I do think that's a, a problem across most of D5 and we're all imperfect. And so it's mostly a matter of, I, I would say how can, Ave should be thinking number one about how to manage this down and, and not dig the hole deeper, as I said, and also think about how can we avoid this situation in the future? Like what, what can we do that, hopefully automatically so it doesn't have to go to a governance vote where people are like no we don't want to do anything about the curve thing um you know ho hopefully they can come up with some ideas of, of how to prevent this from occurring in the future and that'll be you know that's you learn lessons that's that's how it goes what, what yeah. would you suggest uh to prevent this from happening in the future if you were at ave i mean i feel like i'm not familiar enough with like all the like the, the real details of how their protocol works because a lot of times it's the real small details that only like 20 people know that can like make or break a really great idea mm. um it's my experience at maker and a few other protocols is that it's the really tiny stuff that like that institutional knowledge that like maybe two dozen people know um and then you know, you can set something up and be like, well, we know there's a blind spot here. We're just going to have to watch it because we know there's some small edge case where we get wrecked. But then eventually those people move on. And then, but nobody then knows to keep watching the thing, right? I mean, we saw this happen with, well, yeah, we saw this happen in Maker. I had a, had a, 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 a vault get like, I, I think inadvertently exploited, right? For one of the small real world assets. And it was all because of a very small, like technical edge case thing. And it costs like two hundred thousand dollars as a result. So, um, you know, it it um, yeah, it, it, was, it was it was it was it was an integration with a real world asset, and it just the platform with the real world asset was not designed with Maker in mind, and then Maker you know integrated they integrated with each other, and just there was just like a real edge case in that. So that's the kind of lesson that's taught me. I don't want to give like a specific prescription to Ame because <laughs> mm -hmm. um, they probably know their protocol better than I do. Um, yeah, I, I feel like didn't this like with um, shoot, what was his name? Was it Avi or something that tried Avi this Feldman. with 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 CRV? No, 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 I don't think it's, it's, it's Avi Feldman, it was like another Avi that tried Avi. this with something. I forgot. Uh, are you talking but, about the guy that tweeted, What are you gonna do? Arrest me? I think the guy who executed a profitable trading strategy, yeah, 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 like. Yeah. He, he he did the same thing with CRV, right? Like earlier this year. He tried, with, yeah, he tried because like the yeah. loan rates were up. So yeah, I feel that? like it's ox or rocks. Like I don't say that publicly about people very often, but like <laughs> I'm going to commit a crime and document it on Twitter in <laughs> real. And to say nothing of just like letting people know you're doing this strategy that then maybe people counter trade you. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh. 
what he was thinking. <laughs> I think the answer is he yeah. wasn't. No. Uh, moving on. I kid. Do you have any other questions? No, no, no. But uh, uh, let, let me catch this next one. Uh, I think I think I know where you're gonna go. But um, speaking of like the lending markets, as we have been, like um, you recently stated that you aren't convinced that Spark is any better than the the D3M model. Uh, could you elaborate a little bit more on that? Well, I don't know. This week kind of says that maybe it maybe it is because make your government. <laughs> maybe it is. So maybe it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I just I'm I'm ambivalent about Spark. I mean, it's still in like the wait and see mode. Like, I wasn't like wait a, and see. yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I also think it's a, one of the few remaining levers to perhaps squeeze some more growth out of Maker. So, at, in its current iteration, I think there's lots of ways Maker could grow, but I think under its current management, I think this is one of the few ways that it it re- potentially can. So the trouble is like it's a it's an Ave fork, right? Um, but like it doesn't really have a competitive advantage other than the fact that Maker just yeets a bunch of money into it. But Maker could do that on Ave or Compound and has in the past. Um, and I think I think to their credit, or or rather the 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 Spark folks have really had to do it with one arm behind their back as well because governance has uh, has you know impose arbitrary limitations on like they can't last list like wrap wrapped bitcoin too centralized can't list it um you know and having to like turn off like one of their markets uh you know as because the the die savings rates about to go up to eight percent like so to avoid like weird things they have to so i i think i think they've had to like really like fight for every inch i think to their credit but at the same time like I, I read this all the time in, in comments on grants proposals over at Optimism. Like, we don't want to measure team effort. We want to measure results, right? And as my dad always used to say, he was not a wise man, but he had so a lot of wise words every once in a while that would really get, get me. And one of them was always be that, you know, a, a good excuse is still an excuse. So, um, yes, yeah, so I'm still in wait and see mode on Spark. Um, it was not obvious. It's not obvious to me that it's better than just D3Ming into other protocols that being said no exposure to ave because not d3ming into ave mm. <laughs> so maybe maybe i'm wrong yeah. i you always reserve the right to be wrong you mentioned uh growth strategies for maker what are some creative growth strategies that you have in mind that you would like to see implemented so uh, over the last year or so i've firmly come to believe the future is multi-chain like whether that's layer twos or side chains or alt l1s like um I personally think it's probably mostly L2s, but you know, whatever it could be some combination, but it's, I think it's just so, so important to like be multi-chain and be everywhere, uh, be anywhere that your customers are, particularly since like, if you think about maker, like it's early days, like I, I was listening to someone from Oasis now, SummerFi, um, uh, I, I didn't catch all of it, but I got to hear part of his like uh, presentation stuff up today. And uh, he was pointing out that like early on, Dai like solved real problems for people, right? Like they were it was dollars for people that didn't have access to dollars, right? But transaction costs went up. That became not really you know the people in Argentina or you know Zimbabwe or you know wherever kind of got 
pushed out by the transaction costs. And, you know, you know, but when you go to like Arbitrum or Optimism and, and start, you know, screw it around with stuff just to learn how things work, which is one of my favorite parts of the job, it's just like take 20 bucks and like mess with stuff. Um, you know, it's like you spend an hour kind of doing all kinds of crazy contortions with, with protocols and you're like, I spent $3. But into like 120 transactions, it's the three dollars. Um, that's powerful stuff, and I, I also think that um, I mean we'll, we'll see if it really if the idea of app chains really takes off. But um, I, I I just think there's so much runway and so much promise. And Maker had a multi-chain strategy. The Maker Teleport it's been turned off. The dust the the code is collecting dust on GitHub. Um, oh no! Yeah, so. It's such a cool name, though. Yeah. It was originally like Maker Wormhole, but then they were like, oh, yeah, there's a bridge called Wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> so they made it teleport. Um, and even, and, and uh, I don't know how to get Maker back to pursuing a multi chain strategy. Um, the trouble is that um, the, the co founder's not keen on it. And, that's that's that that's the ball game you know most yeah and the devs that we're working on it don't work there anymore so the politics yeah yeah how do you traverse maker governance and you've been doing it for years (laughs) no one really traverses you just get stuck (laughs) you get stuck and you keep going you persevere well you don't you you don't cross the wastes you get stuck in it and that's just waiting for the vultures (laughs) (laughs) um you know Speaking of growth strategies, uh, the DSR is eminently increasing to 8%. Exciting yeah. stuff. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And what are your thoughts on the end game proposal? And in it, it's like, let's create a new stable coin, a new governance token, and a new chain. So I think the DSR thing will be an expensive experiment. I, d- I think it's, I'm very skeptical. That's had it's like designed to ratchet down as utilization goes up. So like right. it's not gonna like spend more than Maker is projected to make. Um, though a lot of those revenues are off chain, and it remains to be seen how quickly they can be realized. Um, so the paper profits, but presumably the money's there. So I, I don't think it's like a dangerous experiment to run. I think it may be expensive. I. I think the prediction is just that some fund that has a bunch of idle ETH is just going to plug it into a vault, borrow it, you know, what is it like three and a half percent or something, and then put that right in the get a carry trade and until utilization drops, I, I think is the predictable outcome. But if there's one thing about DeFi, it's telling me that markets are not efficient. So maybe, maybe we'll see something interesting and wonderful. I don't know. I'm skeptical. Um, as far as the other portions, like a new coin, a new stable coin, a new gov token, I think it's stupid. I think that's, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know what else to say. Like you don't like the name. So we're going to, but the contract for the die token is immutable. So you can't change the name. Like, so we're going to spend millions of dollars on to rebrand it. And, but you got a new token contract. Like you break every inter- integration. I mean, die will still exist, but like the idea is that it will be left behind and you can migrate your die to the new one and back and forth. But um, like who's who, you're going to have to go around to every place that takes die now and be like, please say new stable. We call it new stable because there's not a name yet. So new stable, please say new stable. Um, and they're going to say, and, and they're either going to say, no, it's a lot of work. 
or they're going to say, we've already got that. Why do we need this? If they're fungible, what do we, why do we need to fragment the liquidity? Why, why would we do that to ourselves? Yeah. Um, the DAI has developed this Lindy over the years, you know, people, yeah. you know, three pool, three pool. Yeah. So like, yeah, there's not going to be any three pool for this thing. I mean, I don't know, maybe somebody will make it, but it's not going to be third of no. a billion dollars on it or however much is in three pool in any given time. Um, so I, yeah. I, I don't understand the need for it. Um, and I certainly think, no, I think it's underestimated what the, you know, what, it, you know, what it will do to, I think from a, an integration standpoint, it's, it's just, you gotta go back and do stuff you already did. Um, right. So how about the, the MetaDAO tokens? What, what do you think about those? Uh, uh <laughs> so uh, yeah no so so i so I'll, I'll admit it's these things this stuff gets updated constantly like every month so i will admit i am have not paid a lot of attention to uh-huh. any recent changes to, but i think just conceptually i wonder a lot about mm-hmm. metadows i think i think early on the, i think i think i mean i think it, a lot of in-game has a lot of stuff in like a yeah, lot of it's massive. really there's a few things that are good it's it's huge right there's gonna be some stuff everybody likes i think if you go back in time two years or whenever rune first started talking about this i think conceptually like the 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 problems he identified he was not generally wrong about some of them you know and you know complexity and uh perverse incentives and uh you know some of you know some of these things that he set out to solve you know he wasn't wrong right um so I like, I think there was a lot to like early on, like back then there, I think they were called, I think there were meta DAOs, the sub DAOs, the meta DAOs. I forget if, which one it is now, but it goes back and forth. Names keep changing. So these sub DAOs, I'm going to call them sub DAOs because it's mm-hmm. easier for me to say, roll off the tongue. Um, I think there was a lot to like by taking all like business activities and putting those out at arm's length, you know, so that any, especially potentially regulated activities and then have maker core be like the software right people working on the software the protocol and then all the business stuff is out here to these qualified intermediaries or however you want sub dows these sub dows so i think i think there was a lot to like about that yeah but these things get tweaked over and over and over again and i wonder now so we don't we don't know because it hasn't happened yet there are no sub DAOs or meta DAOs or whatever they, they don't exist yet there's no tokens yet but people are expected to farm these tokens that'll be the governance tokens for these sub DAOs and I think I just question who is going to want to do it uh, because it's not clear to me that maker will relinquish con- enough control to make these attractive. Like, why would you want to go build a business on top of maker, which to be quite frank, has a bit of a history of like kind of rugging its contributors. Um, if maker can still control your, your treasury or something like that, or you have to ask for permission, like you're, you know, you're like signing up to be a vassal, right? You know, you, you know a vassal state, right? Yeah. You, you kowtow to the, to the, to the King and, king maker says yes you know spark protocol or whatever other ones emerge uh you know you can do this that 
and the other, but you can't do this, that, and the other because, you know, whatever. And you need to remit to me a certain percentage of your, your earnings. And I will tell you how much you get to keep. Um, and I can change the, and most importantly, I can change the terms of the deal later. So I think that's a problem. I don't think it's unsolvable, but I think that's, that's an open question. Uh, and then from an operational standpoint, who's, who's going to want to run these things? So, um, you know, Spark, I think by being first out of the gate has kind of snapped up the, like some of the technical talent that was available, um, X maker people for the most part. Um, but I mean, you gotta remember when in game passed, like most of the devs quit, right? Um, all the, all the old delegates were off worded and all of the governance staff has either quit or given notice. So like if the idea was to staff these sub DAOs with people, at least at the beginning with people from maker, there's a lot fewer people at maker. <laughs> um, and the ones that are there are brand new and don't know how things work. I mean, that's not their fault. It, it's a complex beast. It takes a long time to fight all the nooks and crannies. But um, so, so then you've got a recruitment problem too. So you decide just who's going to want the token, who's going to do the work, right? Because you can't have passive token holders tell instructing a workforce that doesn't exist. Um, so, so I, what I do think you, there's a question. What makes you stay around? What motivates uh, you? What is your why? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I'm I'm a salaried employee at GFX. My job uh, is, uh, and I don't uh, spend all my time at Maker. Oh, <laughs> uh, so, okay. So do work at, you know, I I do work at Optimism and, and uh, you know, I also, you know, handle our governance affairs, Zero X and Arbitrum, those are much more limited. And then I'm also responsible for monitoring other relevant counterparties and generally staying informed of the space. Oh, so it's yeah. not like all eggs in one basket with Maker. I still have the Coindesk article just like in my head. Yeah. So that was before GFX uh, hired me. I went in-house with them shortly thereafter, a few months later. Oh, okay. So you, you're kind of spread across all of DeFi. Yeah. <laughs> kind of yeah i was just listening to a pod with uh getty hill i think one of the founders yes. of uh, yeah. gfx and then he was saying how you guys are you know i mean his bread and butter as he said was lending protocols like he, he just loves yeah. it and that's kind of what he's on and he's also a self-proclaimed uniswap maxi yeah um do, do you have uh, uh those same kind maxi. of thinking yeah, yeah. The, the yeah, yeah kinda... actually just launched a new front end for like a trading yeah. level professional trading front end for, for Uniswap. V3, right? Yeah. You can still yeah. swap a V2 on there. It just doesn't have like all the bells and whistles and stuff. Imagine having a Uniswap Maxi on here. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I mean, Paper, do you also subscribe to, you know, the, the thinking of the founder or, or in terms of like Uniswap uh, um, maximalism? <laughs> Uh, I mean, I'm I'm personally agnostic. I I, I route things through aggregators. <laughs> <laughs> My man. Well, people you ask it. me like, you know, what do you like? What kind of, you know, yield farming or strategies are you doing? I'll be honest, I don't I don't do a lot of of like I play with stuff a lot, but you know, if you know, for people that know which are my wallets, like they don't have a lot in them, and they just. I, I, I fiddle with things because I like to you know, learn by doing, right? That's how you find out how things work. Um, but uh, I'm not like moving around my net worth on chain. So I actually don't do that many. I, I do maybe a couple transactions a week most of the time, unless you count just like, oh, there's some new thing 
figure out, you know, spend five hours to figure out how it works. Well, I just figured because you're so deep in the governance and that's kind of where all the alpha comes from. So I, I would imagine you're like a, a on-chain sleuth and be able to just like, oh, you'd read something here in the forums and I, you execute it on-chain. <laughs> part, part of what I am known for is knowing who has what and how much of it. <laughs> but, um, you know, that you'd be surprised. I mean, that's not necessarily information that I'm in a position to act on, right? And also, I can't really act on non-public information if it's not stuff that I just is out in the open. Um, so, but also, as I said earlier on, I buy grocery stores and cigarette companies. So I don't, I don't do the a crazy value thing. investor. Yes, I, I don't do the like crazy recursive, uh, you know, hundred yeah. x leverage on uh, Pepe or or Bold. Yeah. Yeah, I, I actually, I let's, let's take a step back into the the end game proposal, uh, or rather the, the end game plan. I know, I read on CoinDesk that there is like almost one point two billion in T bills so far under the the treasury. Is that right? Uh, so let me check real quick. Uh, so I think there's yeah. let's see, seven hundred fifty million in ish. Uh, maybe it's I think it's a little less than that. Uh. 640 million or something like that in the Clydesdale vault and then 600 million in the Andromeda vault. Uh, and then there's also 500 million of T-bill ETFs that are in the Clydesdale vault. And then if you really want to lay out count it, like there's lots of things that are derivatives of T-bills, like all the regulated stable coins are basically just T-bills. Um, idle funds and real world asset trusts are generally held as bank deposits or T-bills while they wait to be deployed. So there's potentially much more than that. But yes, there's, there's, I think 1.2 is probably about accurate in like just pure T-bills. Got it. And, and then like how, like, I, I guess these vaults are spun up, but who actually takes custody of the T-bills and how does Maker have any real world, uh, um, repercussions in, in case you know they decide to rug maker so I, I mean i can talk about this as long as you want and it'll bore your your uh it, it, for a small subset of your listeners they'll love it well because it's where all the skeletons are um and <laughs> we love like, it we love the deep cuts give it to us <laughs> um but the, the short answer is every one of these real world assets is structured slightly differently for the most part um so you'd have to point to one and say, how is this structured? I know how they're all structured and know who, who, who has, who has the ability to do what for all of them. But, um, but there's no, I can't really the awful answer. Yeah. Okay. Um, well then let's pick, let's pick the, the largest one. <laughs> Was it the wow. Andromeda or, um, I'd say it would be the largest. Clydesdale, yes. So, so how does that vault structure look like? In, uh, yeah, please. I, I, I'd love to learn more. Okay, so um, let me try to be objective in all of how I present everything. So Clydesdale is actually a vault shared by two entities, James Asset Trust 1 and James Asset Trust 2. Uh, James Asset Trust 1 came first, which is why the vault was, was created. So that one is $500 million for treasury back to ETFs. So, um, I mean, it's, it's actually really fascinating the way it's put together. It's, I don't know. I, I think there were some lessons learned that maybe could be applied in the future and 
maybe should have been applied since then, but um, you have a, a trust, a maker contributes to the trust and that, and that, so you have a broker that swaps the die for uh, stable coins that can be redeemed. You redeem those stable coins, typically USDC. So then you have fiat, that fiat's added to the, uh, is contributed to the trust. Uh, if it's written well, the trust in theory uh, is very, very constrained and in theory controlled by maker governance. These things are not battle tested, so we will never know until they are. Um, so, mm-hmm. In that particular case, it then, you know, then banks through Switzerland and then buys a ETF in Ireland. So you're hopping across a lot of jurisdictions. So you are holding a lot of jurisdictions potentially. Um, good jurisdictions, but you know, you don't know what you don't know. Like we learned with the Viper thing. Nonetheless. Uh, and there's, you know, you also get some, you know, there were some unintended bumps along the way. Like uh, there's a tax in Switzerland that I think was not anticipated, which 30 basis points to move the money through there, which is like a lot on half a billion dollars. Um, yeah. Not a not a great error, but, you know, whatever. Um, and then the Clydesdale vault was then expanded to include James Asset Trust, too, which is was to buy seven hundred and fifty million dollars worth of T-bills. Uh, I think 60 some million were returned already and then some interest as well. Um, so those are, those are the, the two, it's the only vault that ha- only permission fault that has two entities in it. Um, but they have the same trustee that the two trusts have the same trustee. Um, and they, the trustee shares information with a reporting agent. The reporting agent is charged with making monthly reports to the forum. Got it. Wow. And so if Maker wants to liquidate or bring back funds for those two trusts, it has to pass a governance proposal instructing the trustee to do so. And the reporting agent then tells the trustee, look at this thing that just got passed. So in the future, do you see Maker increasing its T-bill exposure? Will it create like, you know, a trust number three? Um, how so I guess, there is a trust yeah. number three. So James Asset Trust number three is the Coinbase custody. Yeah. Oh, is, okay. Custody one. So these three are all all share. Uh, they're all part of the same group. They all share the same trustee. Two of them share the same vault. I don't really, not really a fan of that structure. It makes it very hard for accounting purposes. Um, to like quickly sure. how much is from the ETFs, how much is from the T bills. The reporting has also not been. As um, the reporting hopefully will be improved going forward as well, um, and uh, yeah, we got, got our first. Does- well, yeah, and the, those are the only three that are part of that family. Like Andromeda is run by a completely di- is a completely different setup, uh, where you have a uh, like a real world uh, like a a foundation controlled by maker. It serves the counterparty to an actual borrower rather than contributing to a trust. Um, and then, so, so there's, as you see, there's a lot of different ways to, to, to do it. I'm not uh, really a fan of trust contributions. I'd rather have a borrower. That being said, yeah. it's unclear to what extent maker can pursue creditor rights um, in the event that it needs to do so. And it probably yeah, I varies. Wonder, I wonder what that um, looks like, a DAO pursuing creditor rights. Yeah, I, Get to be I mean, it's someone, right? I mean, there's why why can't it? You know, people people <laughs> under the pressure that an unincorporated entity, um, you know, that a, a unincorporated association is not an entity um, that's 
not but usually whose name is, is going to be on the plaintiff like i mean they're suing maker, maker is facing litigation in a patent case a patent troll case right now maker dow is on them is, is the defendant um maker dow has an off-chain entity no it's just the defendant yeah whoa I mean, I need just because you don't register an entity doesn't mean you don't have an entity. I mean, it's like like you know, and you can own property oh. stuff like that. You just can't pass KYC, right? You can't get a bank account, right? Because who's? It's it's not that you. So so the question is, when do you cross the line from being a, a group of people all with divergent interests to being a, like a, an unincorporated entity of some kind, which? is open to whatever the local jurisdictions are. And I, I'm, it's not even clear to me what jurisdiction maker would be in. I don't want to, I'm not a lawyer. I don't want to pretend to be one. Right. So, um, but you know, I, you know, if you hold yourself out to be a business, you're going to be treated like one. Right. So, but you know, think to like little league teams and, you know, book clubs and stuff, they can have, you know, even some churches that are more informally organized, uh, I mean, the American Bar Association, until for a very long time, most of its history was an unincorporated association. Right? You don't necessarily uh, have to have a registered legal entity to own property. You can. It it makes it difficult to interact with modern financial structures because of modern laws. But you know, you're you know you're you're oh, lacrosse. Team. It's like a measure of what's socially acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, your lacrosse team can like you know own a piece of land or uh, you know a something like i mean it, it it's not that these things don't exist and can't and, and can't own property and and it's, it's a matter that's hard to interact right with like with a lawyer who's who's the client right because if that's not defined like your attorney client privilege which is one of the most important things is really hard to work um you know a lawyer's probably not going to take you if you you know can't define your membership and beneficial ownership how are you going to get a bank account so again, it, it's just a matter of interacting with these things. Not that you can't do it in principle. Wow. Okay. So maker gonna, could yeah. sue somebody in theory. <laughs> it's I guess where I'm going with this. Maker can have, you know, they have. They might not be able to pass KYC, but you know, they exist on chain. It's great with keys. It's they don't care if you're an entity, like what type of entity you are. Can just like go and interact, and that's like the beauty of being on chain. Um, I was going to ask about. I wanted to move on. Uh, Kid, do you have any other questions? No, that's that was good. That was good. Um, you said you talked to Sam a lot. Uh, I want to get your thoughts on stablecoin maximalism. The idea he presented back in Denver in March. I presented it in Paris a few weeks ago, um, and I think it's really poignant, uh, especially considering how much Maker has increased their T bill exposure. Tether being number one, having as many treasuries as nation states, um, you're really seeing stablecoin maximalism play out. And so what's your opinion on it? Do you agree with it? Do you disagree with it? What are your thoughts? I'll confess I don't go to conferences, so I, I haven't like heard the presentation. Oh, uh, uh, you haven't heard this. <laughs> yeah. uh, the jux of the physician, I'm kidding, you probably heard me say this so many times already, but we're gonna go again. Uh, on a long enough time scale, most DeFi protocols will have a stablecoin or have a stablecoin at the focal point of its existence. You see this with like Aave Go, Servi USD with Curve. And at scale, these stablecoins will look universally the same in structure. And with that universal structure, what it looks like, it's twofold. 
you have the high quality reserve asset that's earning on the risk-free rate and the swap facility. So for the US dollar, the high quality reserve asset is T-bills. The swap facility is cash uh, for dollar peg stablecoins. For ETH peg stablecoins, the risk-free rate is the beacon chain yield. Uh, for FRAX, the swap facility right now is the curve pool. For STETH, it's you know the redemption contract. And now, um, if you take this even further, you know, with D the DSR rate increasing, becoming the risk-free rate of DAI, and not only just DAI, but of DeFi, um, you have a lot of money from bridges, you know, being pulled off bridges into the DSR. Um, and so something that the guys at Gnosis chain proposed uh, is to take the DAI in their bridge, the XDAI bridge, and put it into the DSR and actually copy the Fraxeth model and have SX DAI, and that's earning the risk-free rate of DAI. Um, and so that, I think, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, I think, yeah, I've, I've heard him talk about this before. Um, so I think I don't necessarily agree with the first part. I think I mostly agree with the second part that, that, that the models will converge. I mean, you see this, right? I mean, like, I mean, look, look at, look at maker. Now it's like, like if you took tether an old school maker and they had a baby, right? Half of it's <laughs> off, half of it's off chain. Right. And it's, you know, off chain, um, and not necessarily clear in real time where everything is, but we trust that it's there and that's, that's enough for now. Um, mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you see places like uh, like Gemini or or uh, Paxos that like you know you can, um, you know like they'll uh, circle like they'll publish like even like the QCIPs right it, they're in, they're moving towards increasing transparency and more on chain activity not just trading around on their exchanges and then you see the DeFi native ones they're edging towards the T bills and the, the off chain component. Um, they're they're kind of all moving closer to the center of the spectrum. They haven't met yet. So I, I do think I I I think I would cautiously support the second thesis. I, I think that's probably cautiously good. support the second cautiously, but the first one you don't but necessarily have when, I don't yeah, I mean I don't want to say that it's I, I like think that's untrue. I think it's I think there are certain conditions that would lead to that, certain that wouldn't. Um I mean out in traditional finance, we basically have like every you know, if I, I bank at Wells Fargo, I have Wells Fargo coins, right? Bank at Bank of America, Bank of America coins. If I, you know, bank at uh, my local credit union, if my local credit union coins, like, I don't, they're not. We call them cash equivalents because they have the financial infrastructure of the United States has advanced to the point that everyone is willing to take everyone else's uh, with a banking licenses, you know, the liabilities at face value. You know, at the retail level, we all have, you know, we feel comfortable putting our money in because we have deposit insurance up to, you know, a meaningful amount for most people. Um, but it's not there for most of the deposits at some of these banks, as we've recently been reminded. Um, and, you know, people kind of take for granted that these are, uh, that a Silicon Valley bank coin is just as good as a... Um, as an algo stable, gone all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think, but you know, that's, that's, that, that's all meshed together through, you know, regulation and prudential oversight. So, which say what you will about it. It means that 
people are willing to take all these if at you know they can all com- they're they're composable with each other because they're inside the walled garden. There's not I don't think there's anything like that on the horizon for stable coins. And you know if you go back in time in the U.S. like to the 1800s and 1700s, like banks they issued their own paper. And, uh, you know, I'm an archaeologist, I, I love history and, you know, bartenders, you know, saloon masters and stuff. And I have these big books that would have like list every bank in America. They get a new one every year and it would help them and it would have suggested rates to discount them based on credit worthiness and distance because you can't redeem for a dollar's worth of gold. A bank that's in Boston, if you are in Atlanta, you know, it's like it's a long walk. So you want to. Offload it headed that way, you know, and and maybe maybe ninety cents on the dollar or eighty cents on the dollar, and so you you yeah, it was like looking at curve, right? I mean, that's kind of what curve is or Uniswap are like is what is the right now for Tether or for USDC or Dai? So Um, this was the original stable swap was this book, yeah. And then you'd see, okay, this is like the credit worthiness well, of this bank. This is the distance away to actually redeem right. from the bank. That's fascinating. And of course, it was totally imperfect because it was, you know, stale information and, you know, your individual circumstances may vary because you had to think about the, the, the physical, you know, you had to go physically go to a bank to redeem it. So, yeah. you know, the f- further you are from the bank, less likely you are just because of, it's like transaction costs, right, um, on chain. So... Um, you know, how we got from that to today, where everyone will take their Silicon Valley bank coin or your know, First Republic coin, the same as a Wells Fargo coin, you know, that was a long journey. Um, we really take that for granted today. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think it's preordained that stable coins will walk that path either through a private mechanism or through a public regulatory mechanism. So, so what, do you, I, what do you mean walk that path? Do you mean like, uh, oh, you mean like super I'm just saying, like I can, yeah. I can see, I can see that first assertion, uh, Sam's first assertion. I can see it happening. I can see a way that it could happen, but I can also see many ways that it never coalesces, never really gets that uh, escape. We're still in the wait and see phase for that. Mm-hmm. I like to wait yeah. and see a lot. <laughs> wait and see, paper Imperium. How did you get your name? People ask me that a lot. Uh, I, I've I've long said when someone guesses, I'll I'll let people know. Um, you took a Latin class, um, Imperium, and um, you deal with. I feel like paper has to do with something. I feel like it's something archaeology based from your life in archaeology. Um, <laughs> you can just stop your way off. It, oh damn! <laughs> I I'll stop. It's got nothing um, to do with archaeology or DeFi. <laughs> so. You're going to just keep us guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, regulation, um, recently, very recently, a lot of progress has been made in the House on the Financial Services Committee, uh, passing several bills to create a framework. One of them was the stablecoin bill, which actually caused a bit of controversy because you had Democrats say, wait, we there's no rush. Like, why are we rushing this? You know, it's, it's not ready. But it did have bipartisan uh, support and they did get it through. It's now being looked at by, I believe, the House Agricultural Committee. Um, what are your thoughts on the bill? Have you looked at the contents of the bill? Do you agree with the process that it was passed? I think it's a. I think it's definitely better than where we're at. Um, I did uh, disclosure. I did provide commentary when it was a you know this stages months and months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, 
yeah, I, I think it's I think it's mostly good. Mm-hmm. Um, there's always the possibility of some unintended landmine that was not intended or just not obvious. Um, Many such cases. <laughs> yes, um, I thought it was very disappointing to see months and months of work to get people not like holding hands kumbaya but months and months of work to get people on the same page to get this thing done and then see that fall apart so quickly in the Mm. matter of a few hours um i don't hold high hopes that it will uh advance very far Mm. at this point um just because it's clear that the administration doesn't want it yeah I mean, yeah, that's been obvious since the beginning of the administration. It feels like at every and like this isn't a bipartisan issue. Um, it's more. It feels like a an age issue, honestly. At this rate, it's like the people yeah. that are younger get it. The people that are old just like have something against it. I'm not sure. Is that like a right way to frame it, or is it just like a different type of way to frame it that I'm just not thinking of? Um, I would hesitate to generalize it based on age. Uh, age might correlate with some Actually, other stuff. I take it back. I take it. I take it back because there's Tom Emmer and there's other people that are like real champions. So well, yeah. I mean, this is politics, right? And yeah. it's no different from a Dow governance. There's a lot of stuff going on in the smoke-filled mm. room. I mean, you even see this with crypto-friendly, ostensibly crypto-friendly legislation, where like you start to see the game of protecting incumbents at the uh, expense of I mean, even crypto does it, right? Where they try to pull up the ladder behind them. Um, which was one of the concerns with stablecoin legislation is that you don't entrench the incumbents. Um, I actually am not really uh, convinced that the stablecoin that wins that we all use in 10 years or is the spilled standard in 10 years. I'm not convinced that we've seen it yet. Um, I Well, maybe. Um, anyway, so I, think we need to I think we can yeah. need to continue to have the door open to new stablecoins. Um, because I, I don't think we've gotten there yet. What do you I don't think? think yeah. I don't think it's USDC, but maybe. Yeah, because right now Tether has the lead by a wide margin. Uh, and one of the questions I wrote, which I'll just speak more generally, is like, what will it take to overtake Tether um, at that number one spot? Like, what do you think needs to happen? It's like so regulation. I think, yeah, go ahead. I think Tether, for all of its failings, which I won't belabor here, um, I think they have done something. I think they've really kept their eye on the ball selfishly in a way that a lot of the DeFi stuff has not. They are, if you talk to someone in Venezuela or Cambodia and, you know, you need to pay some contributor there or you're buying something from someone and you want to use crypto, you know, they want Tether, Right. Um, because it's got the network effects. Um, they don't care that, you know, their latest attestation only had 90 million in cash listed, right? Yeah, they had a, a ton of, of uh, repo uh, and reverse repo stuff, but which is like very close um, and a little, little different, but so they, they're well capitalized. But um, if you take their attestations at face value, but, you know, that kind of thing, like the person who, they focused on the places where dollars are not. You know, they have long said, I think, a little bit not as 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 genuine as they should have that they don't operate in the U.S. They don't have any nexus, which I don't think is quite right. But um, 
yeah, they they have been where the people are, and like we're talking about, they've been where their product solves problems for people, right? You could talk all you want about whether there's unbacked minting going on at exchanges or something like that, or certain uh, certain you know questionable actors. At the end of the day, it's except people ask for it because that's what they can then turn around and spend with another third party. And it's because they went out there into the third world and the, you know, the second world, you know, whatever you want to call it, the, you know, and they brought their product to market. They weren't sitting here saying, here's like eight new ways you can get 30% leverage, you know, 30% yield on 10,000 X leverage. They focused on being a, like a medium of exchange and for all their monetary premium. Yep. Yeah, for all their failings, they did. They weren't just like, how can we like buy some T bills or you know, they, they weren't. I mean, that's what that that is their business model is buying T bills. But to get that free float, um, you know, they're they're not they're not the big dog in DeFi, right? I mean, what is that except on Tron, obviously? But you know, like if you look on like Ethereum uh, or most chains, it's not like like the, the like the respectable people turn their nose up at it. I think that's wrong. I think that's incorrect. I think it's ignoring reality. I mean, they have three quarters of the stable coin market for a reason. Agreed. How yeah, do you I, think Frax yeah. or Dai can get there to even, you know, start taking on a fraction of that? We need Frax PD in the in those developing countries. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know, if you're trying to build a currency, network effects are everything. Um you know, this is a tough question. It's not easy to do. Um, you know, I think I think there's also you also need to differentiate as your stablecoin. Like, are you running a currency or are you running a, you know, not a bank, but like a lender, right? Like, are you running a bank like a base? I hate to even say bank like entity. Um, like, you know, what, what what's your analogy is. Is, is, is the real world analogy a central bank in a small country with a fixed exchange rate or is the analogy a commercial lender um, and those are very different operational models um, and you can't necessarily choose to be one or the other maybe your choices are constrained but you certainly can't be both so profits or reach you know, it's, I don't know. profits are reach um, speaking of Frax and Dai, um, what are your thoughts on Frax in general, and how do you see Maker and Frax working together in the future, if possible? Um, I mean, I you know I have had a de minimis amount of FXS. It's one of the few tokens I Ooh. actually have a little of. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and, <laughs> a fellow Fraxmalist. Yeah, so um, you know, I I think Frax has been improving it's it's uh i i I think it's been improving steadily um over over time i think um i think frax it's really hard not to respect frack uh sam and and the rest of the frax team's ability to they've got to be the best learners of people in d5 like you know the ability to say maybe the choices I made before I should correct course um, and do it in a controlled manner now. Um, 
whether that's looking at a stable coin blowing up or a bridge or a lending market, um, I think that's Frax's biggest strength is, has been, that's just, you don't, you, it doesn't sound like that's big of that big of a thing. Oh yeah. You see, you see a mistake and you fix it. Like, but you know, especially for all of us with Y chromosomes, that's just really hard. <laughs> We're allergic to that. wrong. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And he doesn't necessarily say he's wrong, but he, he, he and he and the rest of the folks over there, they just, you know, they, they learn, they learn. They adapt, that, they huge. evolve and they survive. Yeah. And, and they uh, just build it in house. And they built, they built, they're like, they're like, fuck it. Like the Sunday market markers keep blowing up. We're build our own bridges. Keep getting hacked. Fuck it. We're build a ferry. Like that's the, that's been the mentality. Um, and now it's like interesting now when you see things, blow up it's just like oh sweet it's okay we have we have our ferry or like oh we have our, our lending market um but you know i digress um you know i had a one more question uh which is more kid i don't know if you had any more questions oh, go ahead dave yeah um since you have experience on you know both in like the traditional world of politics and also DeFi as well what would you be what would be your advice to DeFi? Uh, for it to reach the same levels of TradFi and the same levels of institutions we see out in the world right now. I think messaging, better messaging would help. Like, don't call it, like, don't invent, like, a DGen box. It's <laughs> 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 the DGen box. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, forget. Or throwback. Throwback. Yeah. Or, or call yourself a bank. <laughs> or yep, the way you communicate matters, right? You know? Yeah. Um. Yeah, including terminology like, uh, you know, don't call your token bond if you don't want people to say, oh, you're selling a security um, and then be prepared to. And people worry so much about the security stuff. That's a civil violation. That's a fine. You know, if you it's it, you, you're supposed to take remedial action. It's not like wire fraud. You go to jail. Um, so. Mm -hmm. So I think, for, first of all, I would just be more cognizant of how people not in crypto would see something you you shouldn't give certain names that have very specific meanings the other things that you don't want to be associated with that right. um, magic internet and, money yeah um, <laughs> and then um, and then quite frankly um, probably make some donations to like coin center DeFi education fund blockchain association these places that are um uh, you know, actually out there in the trenches. Um, they're not perfect, but they know how to talk to some of these people. Uh, and, Cause it's, it's not for everyone. You know, it can be hard to sit down and have for someone that's like, says that you're a liar or a fraud and be like, I, I'm sorry you feel that way. <laughs> you know, like, and, and, and be polite. Yeah. But um, you can't be, Querile, riling, uh, railing against people on Twitter. Um, that's just not how you get anywhere. You got to work with these people. You got to make them want to work with you. And you got to, if if you're not equipped to do that, you should pay for someone else to do it who is in that mindset. They realize like this regulator here, if I invent the next best thing, they don't, and they prove it, they don't get any, they don't get a dime extra, right? But if I say it's the next best thing and they approve it and like, somebody's grandma loses their life savings that's going to come back to them 
So, mm-hmm. you know, their incentives are not to, I mean, you mm-hmm. got to think about it from their perspective. Like, um, you know, they, they don't have a lot of incentive to help you. You want a regulator that if you, you want to talk to them, you, you got to do people to people. Um, because you can't just be like, I've got the best thing. And this thing is awesome because they don't care. I the best thing <laughs> since sliced bread. Yeah. It's called the Dijon box. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yep, that we're wrapping up now. Uh, and uh, at the end of every show, we like to do a lightning round where we put the crypto away. We put it back on the shelf. And we just want to you know, bring out who you are and get to know the person behind the paper. Yes. I like to get to know, I always like to say the, the person behind the profile pic, uh, but I actually, before I start with my first question, uh, paper, I want to take a guess at how you got your name is the word, uh, Imperium from like a citizen, you know, back in ancient Rome, a citizen that kind of takes over a governmental unit, whether it be military or otherwise. And then the, the paper part is from like paper tiger, which is, you know, appear to be super powerful but in effect, actually ineffectual and very weak. So putting those two together, it's like a citizenry that handles certain units, but in reality, you have no power. I, I like it, but it's that, that's not it. The paper's actually <laughs> quite Damn. You really <laughs> thought about that. You were like, all right, let me take my crack at it. Yeah, but- yeah. I, I thought you guys went it. deep in, in, into the Congress government style. So I was like, I, I have no interest here. So let me just ponder something. Yeah. Uh, you get points for effort. You get some points for Okay. Effort. All right. All right. So anyways, at the first question of the lightning round is, uh, I'd love to know, we'd love to know, what was your virgin crypto experience? When did you first touch oh the this blockchain? So oh, but sex so doesn't count. This, this is so embarrassing. I really had, so I've never told anybody this, but the first crypto experience was like late 2020 or whatever. And a friend of mine who is a total D-Gen uh, was like, oh, you got to check out like NFTs and OpenSea. And like, I tried to, I was like, tried to like log in to like buy something to like see what it's like. I was like, oh, this is like just some pictures. Like, how do I spend 20 bucks on this? Oh, this thing's like 20 bucks. It's kind of cool. Let me buy it. And like, it was like, oh, connect a wallet. And I was like, I don't want a crypto wallet. And I, just, and I wrote these, <laughs> I say, it's stupid emails. I wrote these like emails to the customer service at OpenSea, like, uh, like just demanding. It's like, I don't want your scammy crypto wallet. I just want the NFT. <laughs> I just want to buy this picture of, like a cat, like on a ball or whatever it was. Some, you know silly animal picture i was like i just want to buy it for the 20 bucks i don't want to download this wallet's got malware and i, you know, I did not understand how any of it were you know, the nft you did go into the it was a token that need to go in the wallet and, you know so i yeah there you go i've never told anyone that before this is embarrassing <laughs> wow wait wait so your first crypto experience was not DeFi related at all but you wanted to buy a jpeg yeah, wow. I want a nice okay. little stupid picture of that because uh, and yeah. and now you tinker all the time. You're doing like yeah. a bunch of transactions. Yeah, I'm Come not along what we like, I own. I think I own one from like <laughs> buy one to see how OpenSea worked. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, second question is: What is your favorite off-chain touch grass activity? 
hobbies and interests? Hmm. Uh, I don't get to do it much anymore, but I like fencing. Um, mm. I do a lot of reading. Um, you yeah, know, fiction and nonfiction, especially nonfiction. You're second up. second fencer on the show. Oh, really? Who was the other one? Uh, our friend Christian, NPC Christian. Hmm. Um, from Coin Fund. From Coin Fund. Yeah. Really smart yeah. dude. Uh, so that's that's why I I do a lot of uh, I like hiking, so fencing, hiking, reading. Those would be the three wow. main activities. Video games too <laughs> with my kids. <laughs> active body, active mind. <laughs> cool. Yeah, um, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So, what would be some advice to your younger self? Uh, uh get uh, a, probably get a different degree. <laughs> Archaeology was fun, but. Um, it, it, it's city miles, not highway miles. If, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I like that comparison. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, okay. I, my question is: If you weren't in archaeology and you weren't in crypto, what would your professional career path be? I guess it depends on how far I can rewind. I often thought if All I went the into way. A, I, 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 All you know, the I, way. I often thought that I, if I'd gone in down a scientific like track, I would have liked to have been a botanist of some kind. I like plants and gardening. Botanist. And stuff. A botanist. Okay, a botany. Another uh, type of farming. <laughs> <laughs> Good one, Dave. And then my final question for who would you recommend to be a guest on Flywheel? <laughs> who would you want to see? Let's see. What, what do y'all? I mean, y'all have pretty open-ended topics, right? Um, yeah. So there and we was go a, deep. We always find a way to tie back to Frax, but like pretty much I, everything. I, so I yell at him a lot, but it's to ridicule away his bad habits. But there's a bright young delegate over on um, Optimism. He's like a one of the Vila Drum folks named Jack Anorak. You should see if he'll come on. Jack Anorak. Yeah, he's he a Twitter? fresh face, but he's he. I, I think I think so. Um, Jack yeah, he's, he'd be, be someone new, but I think up and coming. I'm so happy we started asking this question, Kit, because we've yeah. been able to get on like such great guests like you. Yes. We, we got we got on Omid Malakan, the author of Rearchitecting Trust. Um, and it's just like this daisy chain of uh, yeah. recommend. We should good really start keeping track. Yeah. yeah, we should start keeping track of that. Maybe have like an NFT, like passing it down, like a telephone. <laughs> All right, I'm just I'm just brainstorming. But anyways, uh, Paper Imperium, wherever your name came from, it doesn't matter because you are a, a gift to the space, both helping us traverse the world outside as well as having best practices on the inside. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for your work. And uh, we hope to see you soon. Thanks, you. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the Post Game Show. I'm your host, Tfi Dave, here with Capital K. We are right now wrapping up our interview with Mr. Paper Imperium, delegate of many DAOs for GF Flags, uh, most notably MakerDAO. Um, and yeah, this was a first. This was the first time we really reached across the aisle to someone from a different stablecoin, uh, as large as MakerDAO. Um, Kit, what are your thoughts on this interview? I thought it was really interesting because he. Well, his background, it's in archaeology, but not in the academia sense, but actually the boots on the ground sense. Mm -hmm. And he was just, you know, 
he kind of made me realize that no matter what is that it's people on the other side no matter what at the end of the day is people and when it comes to these lawmen and law women they're all largely painted the same yeah right and you just gotta know where to talk to them but but you know that coming from your experience on the yeah. hill yeah <laughs> my, my minor experience as a hill turn back in the day um yeah i i was you know teleported no pun intended teleported back to our interview last week with omid when he talked about you know you can have all the code you want all like the devs and whatnot but at the end of the day it's politics those decisions of whether to raise or lower a clutter ratio, those decisions, whether to pursue a certain roadmap or a different roadmap, those come down to people. Those comes down to like the will of the token holders, however, like the governance works in said system. Um, and so it, it at, he, when he was explaining like the friction that he went through, that he goes through within the whole process of everything. And also whether it's like being on the grants committee council, it's at the end of the day, or it comes down to people in real, in the traditional world or on chain, it's people all the way down. And I feel like that part is sometimes overlooked all too often in DeFi. We kind of romanticize code is law, like the blah, blah, blah. But you know, we, we're still dealing with people at the end of the day. Yeah. And another point that I found I, I wasn't expecting to hear, but I was pleasantly surprised is he had a lot of dissenting opinions from what, you know, the, uh, he's known for that. You know, yeah, I, I was just, I, I mean, behind a keyboard, you could type away. Right. But yeah. being in person and being having to yeah. put a face to it and say it, uh, I, I think is a little different, but I was, I was very impressed. I think one that. thing that stuck out to me in the interview was his philosophy of wait and see. Like he was never too quick to jump to conclusions. He's very nuanced in his observations and his final you know, takeaways from something. For example, with the Spark protocol, you know, he was like, oh, well, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I'll wait and see. With uh, how I mentioned stablecoin maximalism, he was like, okay, I cautiously agree with the second part, but let's wait and see on the first part. So he's someone who thinks deeply about things is very nuanced. And I think that's what makes him a really good delegate. He's, yep. you know, moves very slow. And especially when it comes to policy and especially comes to crypto and DeFi where you know, things happen so fast and we always talk about, well, things are progressing so, so fast, man, blah, blah, blah. It's good to have someone that steps on the brakes and it's just like, guys, slow down. Let's just wait and see if it works. You know, I might not agree with this, but I'll wait and see. Like, let's chill. You know, so you know, I think it's healthy to that have that kind of voice within DeFi. A hundred percent agreed. I think he's found his calling, at, at least in crypto terms. I think he's yeah. definitely found his calling, and he and he, he's in he's in a good spot. He's one um, of my favorite but, twitters. I highly recommend people follow him at Paper Imperium. Yeah, and another thing, I like his vast knowledge of of makers intricacies is very evident right like he oh explained God, yeah. to us how james trust one like james allen or whatever the name was but like james trust one and james trust two and how both of those kind of came together and i was really surprised because i didn't realize that maker doesn't have an off-chain entity but sort of does so then it makes so me think well why maker, can't like frax yeah so you know. maker exists as a DAO. it's just 
it just exists as a, as a but state. Frax exists as a DAO. How, yeah. You know, but then we have to jump through so many hoops just try to get it to FNA, just to get an FMA, right? Like, mm-hmm. I guess like in theory, there could be some trust or foundation created on behalf of Frax to do all that stuff, but we'll see what they have cooking up with Frax V3. I have no idea. Um, yeah, yeah. But, and <laughs> but I, I was just very. My whole yeah. point of asking that question was because I remember talking to uh, some of the Frax core team, and they were saying how they shy away from RWAs because there are no uh, precautions uh, that they can take in yeah. case something happens. You know, like there's there's no off chain entity to do the the suing or to have any countermeasures in case they get rugged. So yeah. that's that's why I was curious to I hear guess, how Maker kind of solves it. It's it's interesting that he said that MakerDAO, even though they're not technically incorporated in KYC, they can still go and sue. They can, they can still be sued, which is like interesting. So I, I like, don't get that. I'm like, whose I, I, name I are, are you going to put? Yeah. Are you going to yeah. put MakerDAO? Well, we're going to send. Like, we're going to send it like a proposal. <laughs> you're just going to drop it in the proposal yeah. in the forums and be like, your <laughs> proposal. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, Maker MIP forty six. We're suing you. <laughs> so what I was going to also say was with this institutional knowledge that comes with being in Maker for so long and knowing those tiny little details of how things are tick um, and maybe only 20 or like a very small amount of people yeah. know is so essential to the survival of protocols, to the survival of programming languages, to the survival of companies. You saw what happened with Viper uh, with the hack. The result of that was actually a change in the guard from the Viper original Viper devs to a new team. So there was this transfer that happened around the time where the exploit went live. This is what uh, CurveCap told us today on the Blockmates show that we did, that it wasn't caught because of this transfer of power, uh, um, transfer of the guard, I mean. Um, and it's always, it's like that meme. I just had the meme in my head of like, it's like a whole like, structure it's like you know maker down and then like in this little corner it's like this like one guy that's like keeping it alive or like open source code like some like voluntary contributor in nebraska that's been writing since 1993 or some some shit like that (laughs) so you know you can't doubt you know the power of institutional knowledge and some people and you're not necessarily monetarily incentivized to keep that power like maybe you are over time but usually it's kept for the for the love of the game there's something like deeper like you know, it's like a passion. Yeah, that was just, yeah, it was a good one. I, I yeah. didn't realize how much I would enjoy it. Cause you know, I normally you know, kind of shy away from these kind of pods, but I, I enjoyed this one. I think you enjoyed the intricacies and the details. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if you want to catch us on every other week and every other pod where, you know, sometimes kids can be one taking the lead. Sometimes I'm going to be the one taking the lead. Sometimes it's pretty balanced make sure you hit that bell button go subscribe leave us a comment let us know what you think give us a like make sure yeah go 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 and also while you're at it go subscribe to our new website flywheeldefi.com brand spanking new it's very shiny very cool hotness also, hotness hotness uh, make sure you follow us on twitter at flywheeldefi join our telegram at flywheeldefi you can follow me on twitter at defi day 22 you can follow me at zero x capital underscore k and we'll see you next week peace
Everything said on this episode is not financial or tax advice. This channel is strictly for educational purposes and is not an investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell any assets or to make any financial decisions. This video is not tax advice whatsoever. Please talk to your accountant and do your own research.